It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. It was commonly believed for centuries that people have souls or a form of consciousness independent of their physical being. This idea, known in philosophy as mind-body dualism, has famous defenders such as René Descartes. But science is eroding its acceptance today. I'm discussing just why this is with Dr. Kevin Mitchell, Senior Lecturer in Genetics at Trinity College Dublin, who also blogs on neuroscience at wiringthebrain.com. I started by asking him to define what exactly is the mind. That's really a central question in any sort of philosophical debate as you want to know what it is you're actually talking about. So if we're thinking about the relationship between the mind and the brain, then we need to really define precisely what it is we're talking about when we say the mind. And I think part of the problem with the debate um, about this that has gone on for, for centuries is that when we say the mind, it sounds like an object, because we say not, it sounds like a thing that presumably should be made of some stuff. And um, I think once you think about that, then you, you think the mind is necessarily something separate from the brain. And, it's a, and if it's an object and the brain is an object, then they must be different types of objects. And then you have this, this problem of how the mind sort of interacts with the brain if they're really different things and they're made of different kinds of stuff. And that's the sort of basis of what's called dualism, is the idea that the mind and the brain are really different. And um, the major problem with that is that if you have the mind as some sort of immaterial object made of immaterial stuff, even though that is phrase is an oxymoron, really, um, then you have this huge problem of how that stuff interacts with the physical stuff that the brain is made of, where we know, obviously, that the, you know, the brain states in, in some way correspond to mental states, or, or, or at least originate them. And so I think if you, if you, if you start out with that point of view, then you've already lost. The, the whole thing is, is lost. You painted yourself into a corner that you won't be able to think yourself out of. So, but if you change that, if you think the brain, the, the mind is not an object, but it's a, it's a process or it's a property or it's an emergent state of, of the brain um, in the way that life is an emergent property of a cell or, or a living organism, then I think you have a much less of a, of a problem um, in thinking about how the, the mind or mental states can emerge from brain states. And how is neuroscience added to our stock of knowledge around the mind and issues like consciousness and the self, uh, maybe pointing to, to this conclusion that um, the mind emerges from brain activity alone? Yeah, so, I mean, neuroscience has over you know, the last century or more um, really demonstrated this correspondence between brain states and mental states. And the, the, the evidence for that is it comes from lots of different um, areas. One is you can actually look at the activity of the brain and you can see parts of the brain are active when mental states are, are happening. So you can, that's sort of correlational evidence. Um, more powerful is that you can disrupt mental states by changing the activity of the brain. So you can do that with drugs, for example. Uh, if you hit someone on the head with a hammer, you'll change their mental states. 
Um, you can obviously there's lots of people who've had lesions due to say strokes or brain tumors where some aspect of their mind sometimes a really specific aspect like language or visual perception or something like that or some personality traits change in a very specific way um, you can stick electrodes in somebody's brain this happens you know what surgeons will do this when they're mapping out um, parts of the brain when they're doing an, an operation for example you give a little zap someone will have a mental state, right? They'll see something, they'll feel something, and so on. So so we all of that together really constitutes um, a, a pretty strong explanatory framework where we can say, actually, mental states really do emerge from brain states. We can manipulate them in a predictable kind of a way, and we don't actually need anything else in our overall theory of, of how they emerge except for brain states because... There's not much left to explain. Is, is there not a big jump, though, say, from explaining brain states and, you know, brain activity affecting behavior and particular uh, character, characteristics, for instance, and saying that um, it, you can explain consciousness uh, or identity and the notion of the self through neuroscience? Yeah, so, so when I said there's nothing left to explain, um, you've, hit, you've hit the nail on the head in, in that I was uh, being a, a little premature and that the main thing that is left to explain is exactly that, which is um, consciousness or the subjective experience. So, so I can say that you know, if, I, if I zapped your visual cortex, I can make you see a patch of purple out in the world in a certain position, and that might be an accurate statement. But what it doesn't capture is why it feels like something to ha for you to have that experience. There's no real strong uh, reason why it should feel like anything. And you could argue that maybe when a fly sees a patch of purple out in the world, it's not feeling anything. It's it's just an automaton responding to that in some you know automatic kind of a way, like a robot that happens to be made of carbon and cells. And so. This question of subjective experiences and where they come from and whether there's some way that we can describe them um, that relates to the physical activity of the brain is really an open one, and we don't yet have a good answer for that. And so that brings up this philosophical question of whether we don't have an answer to that because we have not yet discovered it scientifically or because it is not discoverable scientifically and requires some, some other explanation, some sort of this, this, you know, reference back to an idea of an immaterial kind of a spirit or soul or something like that. Um, now, I'm inclined to think we just haven't figured it out yet. And that's based on observation of the history of science and the fact that we've learned so many things. And again, with the, the metaphor or the analogy to life, um, we that, that was mysterious for a long time and people thought there was some kind of vital essence. Um, in living things, and now we can see that that's not necessary. It just doesn't explain anything to invoke that. We already have a really good explanation for it, and at the end of the day, life just emerges from this, this, all the components of a system and the relations between them. So it is the major outstanding scientific question, but I would still say it is a scientific question. I mean, it does, as you say, create strong emotions very often, not only the broader public and maybe from religious side or religious field, but also within academia and maybe a certain amount of turf wars that the humanities or philosophers feel this is our patch, you know, that neuroscientists really shouldn't be in encroaching on. Um, I mean, one, one might say, look, if you wanted to explain something like consciousness, um, the best person to turn to is a poet or um, a writer or a, a thinker 
thinker rather than, uh, you know, in the, in the humanities end rather than in neuroscientists. How would you respond to that? Yeah, well, I mean, I think it depends on what you mean by explain. And so if you're talking about how consciousness emerges from states of the brain, then you should talk to a neuroscientist. And if you want to know something about the nature of the subjective experience and how one person can communicate that private experience to someone else, then, yes, a poet's your best person for that uh, for that job or a novelist or, or whatever yeah it does create uncomfortable feelings if you like or an uncomfortable response when you think this through um that might necessarily be a reason not to to follow through the logic yeah. of what you're saying um i mean does it have implications on things like free will on on uh, whether we are people who have no control really over ourselves yeah i mean it really is an uncomfortable um realization and and that's true for for anybody i mean it's it's, it's uncomfortable for me, even as a neuroscientist, as for anybody else, probably. The idea that we are effectively androids, though, like I said, made out of carbon, um, but that my mind emerges from the workings of my brain and nothing else. So that, obviously, there's a few implications. One is, if my brain gets damaged or ceases to function when I die, then that's it for my mind. It just won't uh, exist anymore. So that's obviously uncomfortable for lots of people. Um, and um you know the other is obviously that it's a fragile kind of a kind of a thing and but you know we see that that fits with people's everyday experience you know someone with alzheimer's for example you can see that happening you can see someone's mind disintegrating uh due to physical deterioration of of the brain so um while it's uncomfortable you know that fact doesn't bear on the the truth of the matter it just means that's our reaction to it. That that can be true, but it doesn't um, it doesn't affect whether the underlying premise is true or not. Again, one other reaction that people um, that that comes to this is that you're reducing human life or, or the value of humans somehow to a lump of meat or to a purely biological thing, uh, and that that is a dangerous, if you like. Um, concept or message or, or could be misunderstood what, what again it would be a response to that well i think you, you, if you think about describing a, a complicated system and, and investigating it then as scientists one thing we do is approach things in a reductionist way experimentally so that's a method for us to get at how a system works but it doesn't mean that that's how we think of the system once we're considering it all put back together again and so the, you know, the idea that the mind as this emergent property of the brain is in any way reductionist, that's absolutely not true. It's completely holistic kind of a view of, of what, what the mind is, and that can include the interaction of, of individual minds with other minds. So there's various levels at which you can look at that. And so the important thing is to remember that even though experimentally you can approach something by looking at the components, that doesn't mean that the system is just those components it's much more than that because it it is the emergence of of a much more complex incredibly complex state from the interaction of all of those components so there's nothing simple about it when you get down to that level kevin mitchell thank you very much planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.